This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. No, Gabby, get your hooves off me, Gabby. Listen here, it's, it's not happening. It's Hogan's time now. You can whimper all you want, boy, and you ain't playing. The Blue Star me? Hell, I'll think about it. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man. Welcome to the My Old Men Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldMenSaid.com. Joining me, as per usual, celebrating this 100% 2018 in the league, Dan Rogers of the TheVillaUnderground.com. Welcome. How are you? Superb. We're back for more. It's the surge now. It's the, it's the march towards our inevitable promotion that we've long predicted. <laughs> is this uh, is this like in like the fifteen hundred meters or the uh, eight hundred meters? In an eight hundred meters race, we're about five hundred meters in, and are we kicking for home now? Are we just going to be unbeaten to the end of the season? Yeah, I think we're with that with that competitor who's jockeying for position, aren't we? I suppose is what is the point you make it. I reckon we're we do seem to have a there's a feel and a bit of a swagger all of a sudden, and after the Forest and Barnsley wins, it's uh, things are rosy, aren't they? Just at the right time. Yeah. Even Keith Wyness is telling us old fables about how he almost got Robin Van Persie. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I didn't even know he was still alive, so that was news to me. I was surprised he was still alive too, and and he was probably even more surprised opening opening the papers to find himself linked to Villa Park. I guess. Is it? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, that would have put him in a. I think that would have given him a heart attack and finished <laughs> him off there, 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 and then. But he's actually uh, 34. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's all hypothetical now. But mm. I think that uh, if you get him in, it creates that position where you know it's Robin van Persie. He has to play all the yeah, time. But that's, if he's that's the problem. if he's getting a bit old, you know, what is he? 34 now. And that's the problem. You've got to put him on the team sheet straight away. He's not going to be... I mean, his own ego di- dictates he's not going to be sitting on the bench just waiting to fill in for Scott Hogan occasionally. No, I can't. I think that's the kind of risk with that. I think if we were... we were pff, Circumstances were different with Hogan, perhaps I think we might have had a, had a thought about it. The other thing about it is that it's well publicised now that we are not doing very well in terms of wage bill. So... Do we really need to be yeah, exactly, throwing yeah. massive money at one man who would be a gamble as well? 
It's, I think it's, that was just a nice little name drop by yes. uh, Winus. I think that's what it is. So what, what have you been up to in between Villa winning all the time? Caught a bit of the cricket in the silly hours, but mostly very, very busy with some work stuff. But nice Ooh. distraction has been Villa. Nice distraction. Have you watched Black Mirror? I've just uh, finished Black Mirror I love Mirror Black, this week. Black Mirror. Finally finished Black Mirror. It's I think, super I mean, I'm hoping the whole Villa run will not turn into some kind of Black Mirror episode. <laughs> where we're told that we're getting 5G internet reception around Villa Park and we're we're told we're going to get a new north stand and uh, we're going to get all these new new players in new pies with real meat and then suddenly <laughs> we don't get promoted oh. and it's that's that's the twist and we go back to the dark ages it's like the industrial revolution never happened again and you'll wake up suddenly and you'll we be lose praying for a draw at Southampton on a Monday night no no floodlights at Villa Park anymore it's it, just turns into a nightmare where we can't afford anything. But no, which, which were your favourite Black Mirror episodes of the fourth season? Oh, I like the USS Callister episode, I have to admit. In the virtual reality world, in the game world, I thought that was cool. Yeah, no, I thought that was good. Black Museum, I thought was pretty good, mm-hmm. the last one. Uh, and good. actually, the kids surveillance one was pretty good, where they put the probe in the kid's head. Yes, and she ends up watching it. <laughs> and then also the the murder one where they knock that cyclist off. Oh, yes. All very dark. Very dark, very good. Anyway, that's enough of plugging Black Mirror. I wish they would sponsor this show. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, Charlie Brooker should write this show. Well, they, they, I think we do a good job, uh, as it is, just improvising it at the moment. It's certainly as surreal as some of the stuff he writes. <laughs> yeah, but I think we're pretty surreal on this show well, as well at times. Yeah. Anyway, coming up in the show, uh, first of all, we'll do the, the three points, which uh, include uh, an old friend of ours uh, coming back into the, uh, the spotlight. We also look at whether Villa should bother with the cups and does our attitude to them suck a little bit and then of course it's uh, the overall uh, look at our fourth win well third win as well against Forest and the win against Barnsley most recently and we end the show uh, answering a few questions uh, before the clock strikes 12. Three points Paul Lambert is back in the Premier League. It's like we can't rotate Allardyce anymore. We can't rotate <laughs> David Moyes. We can't rotate Alan Pardew. He's got a job. Oh shit! Roy Roy Hodgson's just had a job. Uh, oh, uh, what's on the second page of the list? <laughs> Paul Lambert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, I, yeah. It's the kind of appointment that if you're a Stoke fan, that you, you can't. How do you get excited? And, and I know there are some fans at Villa who, who, who say Paul Lambert was hard done to, and blah blah blah. But he, he had plenty of time and resource for me that didn't do great. Mm. And let's let's not forget he's had a stint at Wolves and he didn't mm. exactly you know set them on fire and their owners uh, decided that uh, it was time to let go and you know look look what's happened post Lambert to them. Mm. What's happened post Lambert to them is a far well, it's a load better than what happened to us uh, <laughs> yeah. after it. he left. No, I think it's a negative, uh, hopeless appointment, really, from for Stoke. You know, he, he might he might have them scrappling around the bottom, but I always thought Lambert was a confused, had a confused style of play, and, and uh, I, I, nothing nothing sexy or good will come long term of having him in charge. No, I mean they won the first game, but I think Huddersfield, who they beat uh, at home, are in a bit of a free fall. I mean, another slightly small other Villa connection there is as well. I bet he didn't expect his first week having to fend off advances for Peter Crouch from Chelsea. That's quite an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, although Stephen Island must have. Uh... <laughs> 
dropped dropped to number two when he saw <laughs> when no, he saw Lambert cryogenic freezer for for years, thinking finally my time is here. He had a long term injury, uh, Stephen Island. Yes, it was an injury which, to his pride, wasn't it? After his fifteenth grandmother died. Uh, no, but uh, but seriously speaking, he had a long term injury. Got his first game back, mm. and who's watching him? But Paul Lambert, oh, who's gosh. about to be the new uh, Stoke manager. So uh, that's a little side plot there, which is quite funny. Point number two. There was a lot of talk about Manchester City uh, would potentially go through the season unbeaten, but uh, Mm. Liverpool obviously... uh put the kibosh on that but in terms of uh, Villa being 100% do you think they'll go unbeaten for the rest of the season? Uh, I, th- I think we have we, we have the capacity to go I think on long winning runs I, I mean we'll, we'll talk about this a bit later is I think we do have the ability to concede goals and we do give teams opportunities but the telling thing will be that we've got this uh, it's, it's the top eight isn't it coming to Villa Park but we're very strong yeah. at Villa Park and I think that that could that that's where my optimism comes from. Actually, looking across the fixtures, I think we've got a tricky run in at the end of the season. But there's there's a possibility that we could uh, we could do very well between now and the end of term. Currently, we have the third best home record: mm. uh, one eight drawn five, lost yep. one. Only three points off what Wolves have achieved, and they've got the best home record. But as you say, the flip side is we haven't actually played most of the promotion no. contenders no. at Villa Park, so that could be the reason why. But at the same time. Uh, you can only beat what's in front of you and when Bristol who are obviously one of the chief well currently uh, one of the chief contenders uh, we actually made short work of them Derby drew nil-nil we beat them 5-0 so uh, there's good signs there Uh, point number three was uh, the passing of Cyril Regis uh, Mm. At a, at a very young age of 59 so it was a bit of a surprise because he's always been somebody who uh, has always been a strapping lad when he played and he was still uh, in good nick uh, yeah, in his fifties. Mm. The thing about Regis, I, I always saw him as uh, he played for Villa for two seasons. But I mean, his his glory days and his reputation, you know, was made uh, at West Brom and Coventry. So I've always seen him as as their player without mm. trying to, mm. you know, put some ownership on it. And he was very much a transitional striker when he came to Villa Park. I actually remember being. Because he was early thirties, mm-hmm. and, and it was it was a free transfer, so it was no big deal. It was underwhelming, and he and you thought, oh, is that it, Big Ron? Come on! But it was at that time, it was Big Ron just building a squad yeah. with you know yeah. what, what he could get on the cheap, as well as uh, buying half the Liverpool team as well. <laughs> I mean, from the get go, he performed very well, Regis. I mean, he got into double figures for the season. I think it was on eleven. Uh, Dwight York hit, hit eleven as well, so he was joint top scorer. Mm. But he did a great job. But I think his legacy is. Uh, coming through uh, at a time of how many? I mean, there wasn't that many black players in the you know late seventies and the whole West Brom thing. Funny enough, managed by Ron Atkinson, who gets a lot of stick for uh, a certain comment he made. But he was the man who brought you know Brendan Batson and Laurie mm-hmm. Cunning- Cunningham and Cyril Regis through, and you know they were obviously known as the Three Degrees then. And this is in the time where you know you have like the British movements which is like the British First Movement and the National Front, marching against immigrants, which I don't think much has changed, really, has it? (laughs) But there'd be like headlines in their papers like race invaders and then, you know, slogans like pull the trigger, shoot the N-word. And uh, it was a very toxic time. uh, And, you know, Regis was one of those people who paved the way and made other uh, black players feel like it was possible. And he's held in great esteem by uh, so many fellow players even today. And rightly uh, played for England at a mm. time where playing for England actually was an achievement. Yeah, absolutely. So may he rest in peace.
Now it's time for Twitter with Tony. January 8th. It's fine that everyone made mistakes. However, I agreed we still need to work harder to improve step by step closer to our targets. Right now, I have to admit it's still a piece of business far away from my expectations. January 11th. Actually, I was sorry for fans to the cup game because it was the only game I didn't really pay any attention to, though I think players should put 100% every game. It is in time, wake up call. January 11th. Wolves didn't need to spend much but get loan players due to M connection. No other clubs can get player like Hota playing in championship and with a very low wage too. January 11th. I'm confident we have turned round club from very serious classes and improved a lot though. It's still far away from our long-term target. We'll get there sooner or later. Being negative all time doesn't help anything. Stand together to a unifying culture. Hashtag UTV. Right, talking about resting in peace, uh, Aston Villa's FA Cup campaign uh, shot down very quickly. Yep. I mean, I went to the game and, uh, I, you know, you look at the lineup on on face value, it seemed like a decent team mm. and good, good enough to win the job. But then when you look at it, it's like Andre Green, who's his first game back. It's John Terry's first game back, both, you know, after long, long-term uh, out. So they're going to be trading a bit gingerly. Then you've got a few younger players in there, yep. and, and suddenly you're playing Briot, uh, centre-back. Centre-half, yeah, that's not a good plan. And you're thinking, actually, this doesn't break down to a team that is good enough to, you know, take on a spirited team that are obviously got nothing to lose, and they're only a division below, and they'll come at us. Mm. And, you know, they, they could have battered us if it wasn't for uh, some poor finishing and Jed Steer making a save or two. Well, Jed Steer made a, made four or five great saves across the game and, and did nothing for to, to remind us that he's, he's probably an able understudy for Johnston. I thought there was some glaring things on the day. I thought the centre-half picking of Bree was a calamity. I thought a couple of individual players had particularly poor games and it's interesting how the picking and the, the, the picking of the side's gone since. Taylor's chronic loss of form you know, was reiterated. I thought he really struggled. Bjarnason in, in the left position was a disaster. That was that was poor. He had a horrendous miss as well uh, in the, at a crucial part of the game. Uh, and it underlined, I think, how Davis has faded through through loss of form and fatigue too. I thought, though, he got his goal. Did, didn't do much yeah. else. I think, I think it was, yeah, that, I mean, we don't want to dwell on the game, no. but... It emphasised a few things, didn't it, I thought. And I think one of the points to pick up on him was, was O'Hare as well, because it was a great opportunity to have a good look at him against um, combative, you know, it was a competitive game, isn't it? And, yeah. um, you know, you see the nice flicks, the nice runs, but he made our midfield so, so light. And it was kind of like a, a rewind to when Grealish was sort of bursting onto the, t- onto the scene, if you like. Uh, another diminutive midfielders that, that you get a reminder that it's a bit of a luxury and you can sometimes get a bit uh, beguiled by the promise and the exuberance, I think, of a youth player and uh, it sort of winds you back in when you see them up against, uh, as I say, combative op- opposition who, who've got something riding on the game. Yeah, and you know all these people calling for O'Hare to play in the first team, well, he's actually behind Grealish because mm. he's not going to play anywhere else mm. in the team and he's not going to play in the same team alongside Grealish. And uh, Josh and Omar, who mm. I think has, has shown that he has more than O'Hare, at, you know, yeah. 
in terms of having the experience. But and the physicality uh, too, I think. Obviously, he's been playing hot and cold. But anyway, the, the reason I mentioned the FA Cup game more so was what do you think Villa's attitude to such games should be? Because obviously they're getting a crowd mm. in and people are paying 15 quid or season yeah, ticket yeah. holders were playing 10 quid to come along. Some people going for their first game ever, mm. especially kids because it was kids for a quid. I took my son for the first time. Uh, for the game and taking advantage of that, yeah, that that paying ticket. Yeah. So he's not supporting Villa ever again, is he? <laughs> yeah, so he's he's now asked for a, uh, to become a, a posh season ticket holder. So we have to drive down there every weekend. Now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's it's a funny one for me. I, I I'm I'm very much in the camp of I think that we should be, especially at these sorts of rounds, trying to progress through because you know the the modern positive experiences of a Villa fan have. But to be honest, probably been in the cup. You know, I, my, real fond memories for me was the 93-94 victory against Man United at Wem- the old Wembley. Yeah. You know, and that was a good win against a good Man United team. And the Leeds and the victory. semi-final uh, against Tram against oh, Tramia. Tramia too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are fantastic. And then you obviously teams. beat beat Leeds two years later. I mean, these, these are obviously the League Cup, but mm. also imagine supporting Villa the last five years if we hadn't gone to Wembley in 2015. Which was a point I was just going to come to, really, because that was in, in the midst of a massive malaise and no one really, you know, no one put anything on us to go to uh, Wembley and, and beat Liverpool in the fashion that we did. And it was a temporary lift. And, and to be honest, it carried us through the rest of that season to probably surviving. Yeah. But the point is and that, the point is that I think, yes, it's a devalued competition, but it's a competition that, you know, we might not win it. And to be honest, ultimately in the final rounds that the bigger clubs tend to, you know, hoover up the, hoover up the silverware. But we have, have a chance. Villa have won cups from lower divisions before. I mean, yeah. you just have to go back to Ron Saunders. But the thing is also, you've got these big squads now mm. and I thought the Villa would have benefited from going through a few rounds at least yes yes and so players like Bjarnason and Elphick and Elphick should have played in that game I'm sorry but him you know Terry needs uh, a bit of a nurse on his first game back and Elphick and Terry yeah. that would have been a better better option I was surprised we risked Terry in that game I have to admit not I get the idea around you know match sharpness and match fitness and, and all that sort of stuff but I it's a you know well, no, that's what I mean that's what I'm saying play yeah. play a proper centre back alongside him yeah. uh, you know you don't right, you don't yeah. put him in on his return and then put Bree who doesn't play that position I properly I thought that was bizarre to be honest I mean there's there's two final things I'd say on, on this and you know I'm, I'm happy to draw under a line under it really I think the, the one thing is that People will often go, well, our absolute priority is promotion. Well, I think it is, but I think it misses the point that you can build momentum, you can play play players back into form, you know, and, and it and it puts a good thing around the club, like the FA Cup run of 2015 did. Yeah, it all feeds it into each other. It does. Yeah. It changed, the, it changed the, the, the narrative, and I don't like the word because it's a Tom Fox word. And the other thing about it, and this was the one bit that really, for the first time, obviously taking my son as a, a five-year-old, you know, it was a big, big thing for him, and there was t- over twenty thousand people there. And, and I, I didn't sit in the hall then that day. I shifted to upstairs in the Doug Ellis. Loads of kids. Ugh. I know, so, I know. I, I shifted to the Trinity. Uh, Did you? Yeah. Well, I'd never sat in the upper upper Doug, and, and to be honest, we'd left it quite late. And I'd umdenard because he's only five, so I thought, well, do you know, we'll, we'll just decamp for this game. See how he goes. I couldn't believe how many kids, and, and by kids, I mean probably five up to maybe you know early teens. And I think the club misses a misses a trick on those sorts of days, really, that you put a half decent performance against up against. These sort of teams, you'll turn them over. Put a put a really strong team out, and I think you know, without being arrogant, I think 
you know, hey, we're playing against, you know, look, hey, we played against Barnsley and Forest. We'd have, we'd have walked the game. And well, I think we'd have won my it. My memory of being, a, of being a, a, a young Villa fan was that, you know, we weren't winning European Cups, but we were, I think, we, as we've said before, we were competitive. We, we played some good football. We scored some good goals. And that, that's your, that's your, that's what, you know, your colours to the mast, isn't it? That how many kids walked away sort of nonplussed by what they'd seen. And, you know, it's, you know, a bit of a mystery. You know, back in the day, uh, let's say Villa, you know, when they won the league with 14 players, Mm. they still went for the games in the cup. I mean, Mm. when they get beat, you go, oh, well, but it's, you know, you've got a squad of 14 players. So Mm. in hindsight, Mm. you think, well, you know, it's it's, it's not going to hurt us not to uh, stay in the cup. But when you've got a squad as big as Villa and you need these players, these players that we buy, they don't get games. And then when they get Mm. their 20 minutes and they're not, you know, on on it, they get absolutely, you know, berated on social media. Yeah, they get berated on social media by fans, Bjarnason, Hogan, mm. and then you wonder why. It's because, you know, they don't get a chance to uh, get into the groove. So there's the benefits there, that we could have fielded a strong enough team to uh, get through the cup, and, mm. you know, where you go. You, sorry, going back to, back to what I was saying, you have a go, and I think it's just this narrative, to mention that word again, where people are just, because it sounds clever, like, oh yeah, we're resting players for this, and play, uh, fans have bought into this now, that you have to rest your players and there's players who are being rested and they're getting paid a lot of money but they're being rested and they're not actually playing in the first team mm, as well mm, mm. so it's just permanent vacation and it's uh, there's, there's not that real excuse of concentrating on the league it's because that's presuming that you're going to get promotion I mean we've seen it before where Martin O'Neill uh, concentrated on the league when we're in Europe and what are you playing in the league for to get into <laughs> bloody Europe so when you're in Europe why are you throwing it away Doesn't it's, it's, are we just running a business here and making sure we're turning over and making some money there was a lot of people at Villa Park for the Peterborough game and, and you, you know you can see the appetite for Villa over the over the following two games as well you know big away following at Forest and a really good attendance against Barnsley so you know the appetite's there but it, it, it was a bit of a strange one I think I'll underline it again by saying I think we missed a bit of a trick. You know, imagine we were in the hat for the next round. It just makes it something else a bit more interesting and to, you know, rotate that middle third of the squad. I don't have any issue with that. And then they can play into the team. And we have a tradition in the Cups as well. Mm -hmm. There's not much else we can win. I mean, we're in the league where we're... Mm. 12 points off the top and all we can get is you know second place uh, at this juncture anyway moving on to uh, how we're doing in the league yeah yeah yeah. so far after a a dodgy December it's now four wins on the trot and potential more I think we scored 10 goals in four games conceded only the one and Mm. that was a that was a bit of a howler that was a free goal they gave away off that corner and uh, 12 out of 12 points but uh, let's just start with uh, Hogan yeah I mean I thought he's finishing and we've spoken about it previously on the show technically he's a great finisher he's, mm-hmm. he's a great header of the ball even yep. though he's not you know not the tallest and he demonstrated his opportunism in uh, well seven minutes really good I, I'll be the first to admit I mean we talked very positive, positively about Hogan when he joined I think we were fair in our observations around I think we were I mean correct me if I'm wrong I think we took the view that he started well with these positive runs we weren't really servicing him I think we, we were a little dubious about the signing from the point of how much we paid for him value and, and wise his, yeah and his in, in his injury record just to yeah 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 and that's honest. correct no 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 that, that's correct And I, but I think that we, we could see how uh, you know, we were trying to inject goals into the squad at that that point, weren't we? And but I think we quite early picked up on the fact that he's, you know, he wasn't getting fed in those channels like he was at Brentford and the 
service in the air was poor, if any. And then he stopped doing the things that he was doing well. And I think but it was interesting that interview on or after the Middlesbrough game, I think it was, that he, he was very honest, I think, about perhaps his own head had dropped. And I think the fact over the last three games, he's put four good goals away. And the, the manner of those goals, you know, that the, the first against Barnsley was a fantastic ball across the box uh, for him to prod home. But he had a lot to do. The header that he wins for the second goal just moments later from a Snodgrass assist is superb. It was in a crowded area as Great well. Great I mean, that shows you that it's not a height yeah. issue. And, and the, the goal that was scored, I thought, against... Forest, that that fantastic. I mean, it was almost undefendable cross from some Snodgrass. But that movement in between the defender and the goalkeeper, they never, they had no chance, and it was hugely positive actually from from my point of view. And his his finishing is something. If we can keep doing what we're doing. Um, and servicing him, I think that we, we could really have an asset there. Well, that is that is the key, and a lot of there's been a lot of talk that it's the uh, the new coach, Steve Agnew, who yeah. used to work with uh, Bruce. That has mm. he's had one on ones with all with all the strikers, and right. obviously he's concentrating on the forward play. And now mm. Calderwood can just concentrate directly on the defensive side mm. of things. Mm. But uh, you know, as you said, it's the deliveries have improved the quality has improved and they seem to know where Hogan's they're on the same wavelength now and they didn't used to be something I noticed at the weekend as well and and it's interesting because I think the crowd I think previously you know when you see a a through ball or a channel played and you think oh that's just you know hopeful or you know a bit of a wayward pass but we we were playing a clever and and Al Mohamedy did it must have been six or seven times to the point where you know I I turned to the person next to me and said yeah yeah, it was like a deep curling ball just trying to either you know put a foot over the defender's head or in the gap in between the full back and the the centre half you know just where Hogan's lurking and I thought he likes to play off the shoulder a bit and yeah. we haven't really utilised that and it did a couple of things I don't, it didn't really come off in terms of Hogan getting a break but what it did was it, it um, the ball would often break into the middle third of the pitch and time and time again uh, Bjarnason or Grealish would pick that ball up and, and it would or Al Mohamedy would pick it up again it was a bit more thoughtful do you know what I mean it was like right we've got Hogan what are his strengths let's play to them something we've been saying for the best part of a year really why buy a player and then play lump it up yeah. chin height at him you know actually what, you know, how was this guy scoring loads and loads of goals at Brentford and let's replicate it good really positive well, the, the funny thing is, and, and this has become one of my uh, little side projects almost, is mm. looking at how many touches Scott Hogan has <laughs> every game. <laughs> and and the, it was ama- the amazing fact is, because normally what I d- uh, I've put out the odd tweet where somebody will come on for like as a substitute for the last 10 minutes. It was Hepburn Murphy, wasn't it, in uh, yeah, the and, games? Yeah, Hepburn Murphy came on, I think, for 12 minutes or Middle 10 Brent, minutes. Yeah, and he actually had more touches than Hogan did yeah. in, in eight, 80 minutes. <laughs> like, he had 14 touches to Hogan's 12 or something like this. Well, mm-hmm. game against Barnsley, I, I thought, oh, I'm curious. You know, Hogan scored two goals. He's, he should have had a hat-trick, hit the post. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. How many touches did he have? 12. That's remarkable, <laughs> isn't it? That's absolutely <laughs> remarkable. I'm like, I'm like, and he played the whole game. Yeah, yeah. I have to say the second much half, 90 he, he minutes. didn't have a sniff apart from the one he hammered off the uh, off the upright, did he? But, so, you know, yeah. there's, after seven <laughs> minutes, Bruce should have pulled him off. <laughs> job done, boss. Job, <laughs> job done. done, mate. Scored my first two touches. I've only got about ten left, so... <laughs> I tell you, it's it's interesting because you, know, you you wouldn't you wouldn't pick that number, would you? If you were someone to say to you, right, you know, and Neymar came on. <laughs> I think he had thirteen minutes. Came on for thirteen minutes, and he he had fourteen touches. He had more touches than uh, Hogan no, in ninety t- minutes. <laughs> I mean that says a lot doesn't it it does say a lot and in my match ratings I gave Hogan man of the match you know it's it's him or Grealish really but 
when you're sticking two goals away in seven minutes, mm-hmm. you've pretty much mm-hmm. wrapped it up and could have scored a hat-trick. But then you look back and you go, I've just given somebody man of the match who's <laughs> just had 12 touches. It was a flawless 12 <laughs> touches. It was. It's kind of like, I don't know. It's perfection, isn't it? I don't need to touch the but, ball. I will touch the ball. But that's his job. Yeah, I it's, but I, I love it. It's his, that's his job. His job. And now, what he's been told to—well, I'm assuming this—is to play in the fucking six-yard box, be that yep. striker, be the fox in the box, and that's all he's there for. So as long as as long as he gets two or three of those touches or actual chances, and he sticks one or two away, it's job job done. You can't complain. Mm. But I'm so desperate to do a little uh, graph at the end of the season: Hogan's touches. Well, he might. That's a, that's a really good one. He, you might get to the end of the season, and he's and he's probably like what's ten touches a game. I mean, we were talking about four hundred and twenty touches this week. No, he's got it down to five touches a game, but he's scoring a hat trick every time. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. how he doesn't get injured. Is as long as it, you know. Oh yeah, that's the one thing. As long as most of my touches end up in the back of the net, that means I don't have to do anything for the rest of the game. So that frees me from any potential injuries. Yes, it could. That could be the the overall plan here with Hogan. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Somebody else who's had a, uh, actually, a rough deal, uh, especially from you, I would say, is old uh, <laughs> Berker Bjarnason, who I've always, I've always championed, A, because of his long flowing blonde locks, and uh, mm. B, B, because he's... Uh, He's, he's decent for Iceland, and he and he just seemed to be a decent player, and he and he could see he was getting in positions. But you know, a bit like Hogan, he made the runs, but mm. sometimes uh, the delivery wasn't always there for him. But again, it's one of those Brucey bonuses, literally mm. a Brucey bonus. First of all, he's had uh, Albert Adomar come up as a Brucey bonus, playing an out of position role. Mm. Mm. He's mm. had Alan Hutton as a left back as a Brucey bonus. Well, yeah, he had uh, Davis, didn't he? Who, uh, Kieran Davis is a Brucey bonus. You know, he was only selected because there was forced. no other strikers fit. And so here we are again, because uh, Bruce has to play a DM and puts Bjarnason on for the second half against Forrest and it comes up trumps and he can't really uh, bring in, a, let's say, a half-fit Whelan in, in, no. in top of him. So uh, Bjarnason put, put in another good shift, I thought, against Barnsley. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I try to call it, you know, it is, it is opinion from me and a lot of the time. I hadn't seen much 
in the way of oh what a you know long term promise from from Bjarnason until the last couple of weeks really that they'd been some suggestions here and there when he first started but I, I think he'd suffered badly for not really having a defined role and he was very much the utility man across the midfield and even left back at times for Villa and I thought you know you, you personally I didn't draw my conclusions from that because I thought that was unfair my my concern with with Bjarnason today had been kind of how some people feel around Whelan really that the silly silly mistakes that professional footballers shouldn't be making you know the giving the ball away cheaply the poor control um yeah it doesn't really matter where what position you're playing however i do think the last couple of games in, in does this does this coincide with a you know the 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 change in the team's uh i know ethos is that to do with the coaching because I, I thought he looked very much more comfortable in that defensive midfield role and as you say you know when he came on against bristol uh, mm. on the left hand side i thought he was really good as well because he he had this license to maraud through the rest of the midfield, yeah. and, ov- and it obviously yeah. he scored as well. And you know, there's, the there's yeah. and and that is a uh, it's a good litmus test. He was clean through, and not many Villa players coolly slots that away. I mean, you wouldn't put your money on Gabby, would you? For example, no, well, no, no, you wouldn't. And I think that that was that was the first time, and you know, I'm pretty that the first time I think there was perhaps some positivity on on uh, in my match ratings because it was the first thing that mirrored what I'd seen him do for Iceland in a, in a couple of games that I'd watched him. You know, I can't say I've seen him one game outside the Euros and I'm not a fan of judging players based on their international form because you know we've bought plenty of players off the back of a Euros or a World Cup and they've been a bit hmm Uh, and and that's why I'm going to focus on the couple of games because we've had a really good look at him and um, against Barnsley particularly he put put his foot in um, a fantastic engine the Villa engine (laughs) at the middle of the pitch (laughs) maybe Um, he is the Villa engine they've suddenly found it and 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 to be honest, he, he's, he's I've been impressed with the physicality that he's that he's put in. That you know he's on the end of a really nasty elbow against uh, Nottingham Forest that that went largely unpunished, and he and he, he had a similar uh, clash against Barnsley as well. And, and, well he's and a Viking, on. Dan. He's a Viking. He is, and uh, I, I think it's a really positive thing. I'm not I'm not in the business of of, and this is where I stand up for the likes of Whelan and things going. He's shit, he's shit, he's shit. He must he must never play again for Aston Villa. I'm delighted that there's a bit of a rehabilitation going on between before our eyes because he looked great over the last 180 minutes of football and that's that, that can only be good for us. Yeah, I think the main difference in the Villa setup though is a uh, man like Grealish mm. who he's is really, really con- he's really conducting the team now and he, yeah. he seems to have I don't know he was hints I think he's mentally been sat down and I don't know maybe he's maybe he has been sat down maybe you're maybe right. he's seeing a sports therapist or something because he has this uh, <laughs> no seriously because uh, he has this mentality now which uh, I mean you, you would have noticed against Barnsley he actually had mud on his shorts yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Good, and uh, he's you know he's really getting stuck in uh, and also he, he made sure the ref had mud on his shorts <laughs> as well <laughs> which was uh, if you haven't seen it yet it's worth I think I've put it up on uh, Twitter it's basically he goes off uh, on a run and uh, plays Steam a one two and the ref's in the way so he just pushes the ref out of the way the ref's thinking oh, what am I going to do uh, uh, and just sees that uh, I think he could have booked him then just to really be a cunt <laughs> <laughs> sent him off <laughs> but no he's he's been really uh, positive I mean the third goal against Barnsley that, you know that was vintage Grealish that's what mm. he does He, I mean defenders is one thing they don't like and that's people running at them and if Especially you're running at the box yeah exactly I mean we spoke at the outset of the season really and it was it was a real bad look that he got the, um, the horrible kidney injury that he did in uh, at the beginning of the season but I think we did, we'd said that this is a this has to be the defining season for the mature Jack Grealish doesn't it because if he's not going to do it at this level with Villa now 
when's he going to do it yeah because there was this big question mark over yeah. his head is is he just hype and he's a kind mm. of an okay player yeah who can like flit here and there like he did in the uh the semi-final of the fa cup or is he somebody who can play for 90 minutes and really be the, the boss man and give your whole team uh, a complete yeah. different dimension because he's running the show and once he's running the show like that suddenly hurahan's got an ally yeah albert doma's got a, a an ally and suddenly hogan also has a uh, more movements behind him that's going to set you know set him up it's made us much more threatening hasn't it through the middle and that's something we've lacked for a, for a yeah, while and, and unpredictable as well yeah 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 well that's something again it's this will be no surprise to people who've listened to the podcast for a while i'm a huge advocate of having some spontaneity and it's where my criticism of, of managers like lambert come from really that you set up in a certain way and you try to play so disciplined and rigid it's so easy to set up against in my view that you play, get players like a, a grealish and a hurahan to some extent i think playing well then and doing their own thing you know within team orders but actually saying when you've got the ball you've got free reign to try and hurt the opposition that's very hard to defend against another player who does it who does it and it might seem strange because of, of the position he plays Hutton carries the ball often forward out of out of full yeah. into either a left or a slightly off off left central position and that causes disarray because you're an extra man appearing in amongst players who are thinking bloody hell you know I, I'm trying to mark the midfielder and yet I've got someone marauding forward uh, yeah he, it's, it's like he's got weights in his right boot because he always drifts in <laughs> into does. the centre doesn't he, does. he? <laughs> and, uh, but it's a great thing and uh, and to be honest uh, and Al Mohamedy does it very well as well Almo will, will often carry the ball forward and he'll, he'll interchange the player noticed actually quite a lot with Grealish at the weekend and Snodgrass and be almost like you know you've got two options to put the ball in then and, and through Snodgrass and, and Al Mohamedy two, two players who can, who can genuinely deliver a football into the box as well yeah and for the first time picking up and linking it back into what you said about Grealish we, we can threaten teams and spontan- with, with some spontaneity as well you know we're not rigid we're not hoping that you know Kodja will pick up the ball and run 40 yards and score a goal for us or you know years previously Benteke we carry threat across the midfield and it's no surprise to me that now Grealish is ticking and we've got a player like that that as you say that we're starting to score goals and, and I think against Forrest and, and Barnsley we've looked dangerous yeah and the next game's uh, a few days off actually yeah yeah depending on when you listen to the show and I think that's a I've, you know I looked at kind of key games uh, I think the first one is the upcoming Sheffield United the trip to Sheffield United because mm. if we win that because you would say that's a difficult game in the context of the championship then there's double back-to-back home games against Burton and Birmingham who are obviously both in the bottom three so great opportunity you're suddenly on a on a seven game winning run which mm. that should claw back the uh, automatic promotion spot but uh, anyway we'll, we'll talk more we might might sneak another show in uh, before that game to talk about the future and uh, how the season may pan out. If you're listening to the show on iTunes or Apple, please do uh, give us a, uh, a review, preferably five stars, and then you know write whatever you want. We now have a few listener questions. Ben Hipkiss says, and uh, by the way, he pre- prefaces this by saying he's not a Bruce hater. He has his full support this season. Bruce has ha- asked around with the team over the last 15 months, making some ridiculous picks. Bakuna starting the season, for example. Numerous players played out of position, players bought but hardly played, etc. What does this podcast believe to be our best 11 we really need a settled side for these last four months. So who is certain to be on the team sheet? Do we really need to sign anyone else this transfer window? Mm, uh, I think we'll go through the 11. I think you have to, uh, in terms of defence, keeper, Johnson is in. Mm. Would you go Elmo right back? On current form, definitely, yeah. Yeah, Chester Terry takes yep. care of itself. Hutton or uh, Taylor? 
on form Hudson and that's not something I thought I'd hear myself saying six six nine months ago yeah I mean uh, to be honest I'm not that bothered I think uh, either or because uh, if Taylor Taylor once he gets a few games under his belt he starts to get a bit braver and goes forward but at the moment Hutton really isn't doing anything wrong and nope, nope. with Grealish and Hurahan and Adomar all link, linking up on the left they don't really need a natural left footed left back to really get involved there anyway so that leads to the midfield mm. would you go for this 4-1-1? Yeah I, I like that I like the idea of having someone playing off I think it gives you the I think it allows you to actually stay quite solid in the midfield. I'll just rephrase that. The four, it's so it's four one four one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or uh, four, I, or sorry, <laughs> sorry again, <laughs> four one three one one. So if we're using a DM, are we playing with a, a designated DM? And if so, who's your man? This is where the the, the best eleven thing starts to fall about apart because I yeah. think that we've now got an advantage that we've probably got three players who can sit in that defensive midfield role. We've got a couple of issues. Yedinak appears to have repeatedly be, be suffering chronic injuries. I mean, if the thigh injuries, it's a tear. So I think we're waiting to see what whether it needs surgery or whatnot. It's getting a bit boring with Yedinak, to be honest. Well, this, this is why I think that if we get up this season, it will be because of our squad depth. You know, if we can interchange players like Yedinak, Wheel and Bjarnason in that role, well, that's got to put us ahead of other teams in, in a similar position. Oh, yeah, no, without a doubt. But if you have to pick one you feel like if Villa are 1-0 up and it's the last 10 minutes you're feeling safer if it's Yedinak in that defensive midfield spot Oh yeah, oh absolutely. But I mean, the problem his, is his, his history and his his experience and the fact that he captains Australia makes him the number one pick. But is he going to be fit? Is the question? Yeah. So then that boils it down to Bjarnason or Whelan. Well, on current form, um, Bjarnason is is just is just nudging it. Which again, it might be a shock to some people. I, I mean, I've got to take this point to clarify. Oh, you, you just you just go I'm with gonna... the fashion, you do, Dan. You I just do. go with the current fashion. Well. It would be unfashionable, for, and it, do you know, it would be erroneous of me to suggest that on current form, Whelan was was a better player. Personally, you know, having watched a lot of him play for Ireland, and I, I do think he, for the purpose that he serves, and and people do need to look back at some of the games where he's put his foot in and he's bled for the cause, and he's, you know, he's made some two or three bad, bad. When he makes a mistake, it's hurt us. Has it always made it's a mistake? It's, it's in the net, yeah. It hurts us, and I think that, that that's reflected really badly on, uh, for a player, I think, who, who plays with his heart on his sleeve and I think is a really hard worker. And... Yeah, whatever, whatever, just get to the point. <laughs> I mean, there's also the option, uh, and I don't know if, how legit this is, maybe he will sign tomorrow and uh, he'll already be in a Villa shirt. The Manchester United uh, player, Axel, and I can't even pronounce his name, Junzebi, Junzebi? Have you got any... Sounds uh, good to me. <laughs> Pogba's mate, uh, who can apparently play centre-back or defensive midfielder, but, you know, I don't know if you suddenly get him in and the only reason he's coming is to play games, and we've just talked about three potential players we have. Uh, mm. Although although if Yedinak is out long-term, then obviously that's just a Yedinak uh, replacement in the same way that, you know, if we got a striker in, that would just be like for like for, for Kodja. Yeah, yeah. I can't see Villa forking out or getting in anybody who's going to force his way into the first team no and I, I don't know how it works in terms of loans either I, you know is there some you know like a, like a onoma really that you, there's an expectation on the parent club that some game time will be had I don't yeah. know I, I don't see you know if Terry and Chester stay fit I don't see anyone forcing their way through and the reality is that, that Elphick and Samba would be ahead in the pecking order yeah. I'm not saying that some you know hotshot from Man United might not force his way into contention as third and fourth spot but the merits of it I don't know I, I mean it's it's kind of uh, it doesn't need to happen it doesn't does it no it's kind of like the Van Persie discussion with Hogan that we 
should have enough. Uh, just to complete the best 11, so I think Grealish, Snodgrass, Adomar, Horahan, they're all in. And then at the moment it's Hogan. Yeah, I agree. Because if honestly, As I mean, players like man. Lansbury haven't, you know, aren't, aren't knocking on the door for me, you know, and stuff like that. I don't see that. No, I mean, he, he's good. You know, he's good to have in, you know, as luxury in the squad. He, he, he's just one of the people that makes the bench strong. Mm. So, so the answer to the question, I, I mean, I, I've just maintained we don't really need anybody in the transfer window bar uh, cover for Codger. And I mean, just to finish off Ben's point, really, that he's, he's saying we're going to see a settled side. I think we're starting to see a settled group of players, but we've got the benefit that there are players around the periphery who can who can swap in quite naturally now and. Uh, I don't think we don't. We're not in the position that we are last January, are we? Where we were looking at the squad, thinking, "Crikey, we need to make some swift yeah. changes here." We, you know, really, you know, go and spend eighty million quid or whatever it was, and that's a good position to be in. So that's answered that. Another question. There was one question about: Are we right not to be bothered with the FA Cup? Which uh, we've kind of answered. I, I think. And did you? I think you agreed as well that we should be uh, taking cups seriously. I think we absolutely should be. Yeah. Uh, another question. Richard Morale says the ladies' team. Why? This is a tricky one. Why not? Yes. Why not? I mean, ladies' teams. If you go to America, for example, you go down to college level, and, and you're talking about when you're younger at school, the girls' games is bigger. It's bigger than uh, than the guys' game because most you know blokes are playing American football or basketball mm. or baseball or whatever. The ladies' game of choice is is soccer. And that's why the Americans have been, you know, better historically in World Cups and, and what have you. But, I mean, the question of why, I mean, that's, uh, you shouldn't even have to ask that fucking question. <laughs> Sit on the fence, David. The only problem is, is the interest in the game, which is something, uh, which is a problem. Because you can't just say, suddenly, you know, because you support Aston Villa for 100 years, you suddenly have to go to the ladies' games. Because, to me, yeah, it's, it's like an, another it's team. Separate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the point with ladies football for me. I'm not, you know, I, I support, you know, I support it in the sense that I have nothing against it. Do I have an interest in it? No. But the fact that there were thousands and thousands of people at Wembley watching the ladies FA Cup final tells me that there's an interest in a demographic for it. So, crack and it's on. something that will only build because it has been in the shadows. But it's something you know, these things don't happen overnight, and it's something. I mean, there's a, you know, there's a lot more influx of female football journalists feeding into the game and they obviously show more interest in the ladies game so it does broaden it out and will only help increase the actual interest over time and who knows because you know football's getting more sterile and uh, people may look for alternatives because I think people who go and see Aston Villa's ladies team for example you know have a lot of fun because it's a lot more kind of grassroots I think the other comparison I draw is just just slightly off tangent is that and on that subject of sterility is particularly in the in our relegation season our first season Dan, was the growth and interest in following under 23 football you know and, and the, the benefit yeah. of that you know you don't necessarily have to go to the games but I was surprised when we went and I know you've been to a few more than me of actually how many people do bother to turn out for those things you know on a yeah. Tuesday night at seven o'clock at Villa Park it's not you know it's not under supported and you look online on social media things like that there is an interest there that perhaps I, I don't remember there being an interest there even maybe five years ago. Yeah, I mean, if, if you like football in any shape or form, mm. then, like, for example, when I used to live in Brighton, I used to sometimes go to uh, watch Lewis at the Dripping Pan, which has a bar behind the goal, and you can actually uh, stand at the bar and, and watch the game through the window. Wow. That's a fantastic way to watch football. Then you can take your pint out on the terrace, and it's you know it's all it's all like Harvey's and the local uh, ales there. It's not like you know fucking Carling or uh, <laughs> Carlsberg or any of that any of that Ooh. watered down shite. So you're standing on the terraces, and you can wander around, and it's like 
you don't get all this bullshit and you, you know you, and you get this same attitude at the ladies games you can turn up at this you know it's very similar grounds that they play on unless they're hosting like a one-off at villa park and you get to have that proper experience of having a drink watching the game as it used to be and you know that can be more appealing than going to a uh, premier league or championship stadium where you you know you have to queue up for hours to get a pie and a and a pint of piss <laughs> and, and you miss most of the and you miss most of the game anyway. And then there's people leaving with five ten minutes to go. And uh, well, no, I mean when we were in our relegation season on on the odd weeks uh, on the off weeks when Villa were away and stuff, I'd, I'd, I'd sometimes go down to Hensford and Keys Park, and you sort of get that reminder, don't you, that that you know professional football's at the top level. Yeah, you've got you you know your world class players and and stuff like that. But dripping down, there's not much difference sometimes between your average footballers, to be honest. And uh, it reminded me, that, you know, grounds you. Isn't it? I think, and you, you get there and you get in amongst it, and you strip away all the corporate bollocks. And there is a lot of corporate bollocks, even at Villa's level at the moment. You see it now, especially yeah. with social media. You actually get there and you watch a game of football, and like you say, you wander out the pubs immediately outside the ground, or you know, you don't have to queue for hours and hours to get away because it's a very you know uber local club. It sort of reminds you why you bother to go to football. Actually, you know, football's become this uber policed, overthought very restrictive I mean you, there's few sports and few of, of entertainment events that you would go to where your dare I say your human rights are just eroded before you and you, you completely complicit in it and think it's normal when yeah. you stand back and actually you know I would go as far as say that's 99% if not almost 100% now of people who attend football matches are law abiding you know you, you'd struggle to commit an offence in a football ground now and not CCTV blah de blah de blah you look at the restrictions of you know travelling football fans particularly for league clubs and it's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. Well, it's like the the Grimsby fan who in, infamously, uh, I think he hit a steward on the head with an inflatable shark or inflatable <laughs> fish as a joke. And uh, he got prosecuted for it's it. And they were lunacy. trying to ban him for it. I mean, we'd have and all this... been banned against that Newcastle United game. You know, the Villa <laughs> Park with all the, the flying cocks. I mean, it'd have been done for... A... You've been on a register as well as in, in bloody court. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, I don't think the game's going to get any better, put it that it's way. I, and I think it's made up. I do think it's made up. It, it harks back to the old well, when you go 80s to, stuff. It's yeah, if you, I mean, when you go to any Europe, well, most European games, you, you still get a legit experience. I mean, last season mm. I went to uh, a couple of games in Germany and it was a... You went to the it, Olympics, didn't, feel Germany, like, didn't you? Didn't, yeah, it didn't feel like your civil liberties were being stripped from you as soon as you walked into the game. I mean, you could have a beer in your seat and stroll around. I mean, there was people smoking weed in the stadium as well. So mm. smoking cigarettes as well. And, you know, it's like uh, life as it used to be before uh, it got completely uh, sanitized. Yeah. Right. Right. We'll uh, check out at this point. So uh, support the ladies game. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, eventually, within about 10 years, it'll be better than the men's. So that's <laughs> why to uh, answer your question, Richard. Yeah. Anyway, until next time, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from him. Goodbye. My old man said... Hurry on. Hurry on. 3-1, 18 minutes. Kabavis played a ball across towards McCarthy. He didn't want it. McCarthy's cleared it and it's come back to Villa and it's just a tapping. So we're, one minute we're back in game, next we're not. 3-1. And that's what Urian. Connor Urian. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. 
Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.